Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of another day. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. We want to be useful to you. And Lord, we also want to be blessed by you, especially in those parts of our lives where um, things are covered over, things are hidden, and uh, where we need to be healed. Um, So Lord, I pray for all of those who are the walking wounded, those who carry burdens that are hidden, maybe even hidden from themselves after many years. And so Lord, I ask that you would begin to unbind us in the secrets of our heart, unbind us and set us free, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, great to be with you. So Carrie, we had a really fun dinner tonight. Actually, it was better than fun. It was engaging. It was inspiring. This wonderful couple, very active uh, in the faith and active in connecting people around here in Spokane. And uh, I thought the conversation went in really interesting ways, things that I wasn't anticipating. And one theme popped out, a theme that uh, was applied in a way that I hadn't heard before. And so I was pondering. Did you catch me when, at that moment when I was pondering? Like, I didn't come up with it. Normally, I'm pretty good at immediate answers. And yet, when she was proposing that, uh, that this talk that she heard a priest give um, was talking about the theme of healing in a way I hadn't heard applied before. So it got me thinking. And it I hadn't really thought about healing as applying to these things. What am I talking about? When I think about healing, I think about healing of memories, healing of physical conditions, healing of relationships, healing of um, some part of our family tree, healing um, from some traumatic event that has struck our lives. And yet, what she was reporting the priest talking about was a need for the faithful, at least some of the faithful, to be healed of certain wounds that they, the priests, or the wider institutional church had caused. And do you remember the three wounds? Uh, yes. Do you want me to go over them? Uh, how about, yeah. Do you, which one do you remember? Which one jumped out at you? <laughs> Thanks. That makes it much easier. Um, the wound caused by the church shutting down during covid and a lot of the ramifications of that and a lot of the requirements by the church to be vaccinated if you want to be a part of the church uh, ministry or teach or volunteer. And so just a lot of different requirements asked of the lady that encroached upon or left us abandoned. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I hadn't thought that there are many laity who are today, right now, feeling a wound towards the church. They're wounded, and they've been wounded by the church because of how the church in her leadership made decisions about um, how the churches would be open, available, or the church's ministers or priests to exercise sacramental ministry. And they told a, a profound and somewhat tragic story of um, the loss of a, of a father uh, 
uh, it seemed like it sounded like it was probably earlier in, in the early days of COVID when things were shut down in very intensive ways. I think it sounded like it happened last summer after it had gone through for a year because they had COVID at the same time Oh, and they didn't get it until the summer. So I'm thinking it may be So it's like over a year in. Well, even then, a year in, there were still restrictions in place regarding who could go visit someone in the hospital. And those are some of the stories that I've heard um, from, from friends of mine who lost parents or a spouse. And it was one of those same situations where they were sick, diagnosed as having COVID, entered into a kind of severe isolation, and then quickly went downhill and died. And, or went downhill and died and did so without the sacramental, without the presence of the sacraments, the ministry of priests or of family. And when you hear that, you don't quickly think and say, well, what's the wound? Well, the wound is that in some ways, where were the priests to fight and battle? Where were our church leaders to push back against policies that left our loved ones in their most vulnerable moments, the moments as they're about to die, um, without a full sense of presence and care and love and even time to say goodbye. But most importantly, along woven into that would be the presence of, of the sacraments, right? The ability to to say, my, my father went to confession before he died. My mother received Holy Communion uh, and received the anointing of the sick before she died, and she died in peace, right? Those are the things that were were essential right, to our life of faith. And so, and so for a priest to say, as he has been doing his own examination of conscience about the wounds of the church in the present moment, he was saying, we priests ought to ask forgiveness and ought to pray for healing for the laity over the wound of our, our, they, the priests, lack of pushing back, standing up, saying, I'm going to break through. I'm going to break through and I am going to be with my people. And if that exposes me to sickness, if that exposes, if that goes against your protocol, you know, here's what you can do with your protocol. My protocol is to help this soul get to heaven. And so that's a that's a pretty, I, I thought that was insightful. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. We priests have wounded you, laity, uh, in how we had responded in COVID. So that's a pretty brave thing to say. Yeah, and I think there was, I mean, apart from what the church didn't do or did do in some circumstances, it was a season of hurt in wounds and abandonment and a sense of I'm all alone, who's here to fight with me or to help me or to be with me, especially especially those who were very sick or passed away. And then as a family, you could sit and think, I feel so um, that I betrayed my mom or my father because we couldn't be there for them. And just that sense of, I think one of the worst parts of COVID for people that lost someone is that most of them died alone. 
and had not that ability to be hugged or to be their hand to be held or them to gather around and sing and pray. I mean, just think of how my father passed away 10, it's about 10 years now. And it was a three-day retreat of bedside, um, just a presence to him and, and praying and weeping and healing and um, God moving in, in the midst of all of of the pain and the sadness, but also there's this joy and hope. And just, I feel like so much of that joy and hope that you can encounter when you walk with someone to the gates of heaven or to their death, um, it was just gone. And and it left a, just an open, aching emptiness. And I don't know, I mean, that is something you would, I would have to take to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I feel so lost. I feel like helpless. I felt like I left that, I let that person down or I let the situation, what, you know, what could I have done differently? And there's all this regret and I don't know, I just think there would be a lot of sorrow and and tragic loss and not knowing how things could have been different. And at that point, the only thing I could do is just surrender it in prayer, in adoration, in time of Lord, come and heal this the something that this grief that I just don't even know what to do with this ache that would just be so hard to take. And, you know, part of that, the church didn't quote unquote cause, but there is a way in which had she been stronger or more available or more courageous, you know, maybe not in the first month, but certainly after the first six weeks, she's, you know, where, where was the church? How did it, you know, just continue to be at a distance with an arm's length, more worried about parishioners dying and going home to heaven. <laughs> or <Go>. not. Or <laughs> salvation at risk, right? Well, and, and the thing that, you know, it's funny, it, it feels a little distant right it now. It feels so distant. Why is that? That was only a year ago. That was a year ago. And I think for folks on the West side, you know, it's, there's still remnants of the, I don't know, the kinds of shutdown things that, that are probably still in place. And who knows the wave that's coming. I, I, I'm thinking two things. The first is that um, I've also heard priests say, the if this comes back around again, and the attempts go come forward from the government to raise the uh, barriers and in, uh, inst- reinstitute strong protocols, that there's a bit more sense of we've been chastened, we've been we've been purified and cleansed by what we just saw and what we came through. To say we're not going to do that again, we are not going to just give in and give over to the decree of a of a governor without pushing back harder. Um, and let's just say we hope so, right? We hope so. But I I take it a little differently. I was also thinking of it. In, in, in our own lives. I, I don't know if that, it, it, this might not be the first place to go, but you take the theme, and the theme is, I have a charge, I have a stewardship, I have a responsibility to recognize that this one who is under my care is in a, um, a sick condition, right? And you can take that word sick and broaden it and then say, Am I pushing through barriers? Am I just letting walls be there that hold me back from reaching into their lives? 
in the name of, well, what can I do? I'm powerless here to do anything. I have to let the walls come down before I can get back in. So I'm, I'm actually pondering it a little bit more personally just as a father and thinking about in what ways can I do a better job of being a father to my kids uh, or my wife uh, and, and say, am I letting a wall go up that is supposedly supposed to be there just because of circumstances and in doing so just being too passive and instead ought to be more assertive because of my call and my kids' lives. So that was interesting. Do you remember another one? So that was one of the three wounds that this priest was confessing, if you will, to the, to the, to the group he was speaking to and asking for forgiveness and saying, we need to seek healing in the lady. So the first one was around COVID. The second one was around a lack of formation, a lack of true evangelization and rich catechesis. And the idea was that many laity became wounded because they had entrusted their kids into our care and our failure to catechize and evangelize them well allowed them to conclude that the Catholic faith was something other than it really is. And they were quickly able to just float away from the practice of their faith and that left them wounded, the parents wounded and angry. Again, I had not heard of the, the theme approached from that side. You know, I think I experienced that when we started going to the Latin Mass, and I felt a great loss or a sense of sadness over some of the prayers that they use in the Latin Mass, and the beauty, the holiness, the, the breadth of them. And I I was really saddened. Like, why have we not been using these prayers? Why did they disappear? How about all these other prayers that you can pray before and after communion? And it's not like I don't have my own autonomy or my own um, sense of independence to go out and find things and research it and look for prayers. But there was a sense of, wow, there's a loss here. I've been ripped off. This was been swindled from me. Why did... And so I was, there was an anger in my heart because I felt yeah, that we had closed the doors on some things that were so rich and beautiful. Well, uh, I, I've shared a number of times on the radio that the number one uh, experience of an anguished questioner coming up to me after a talk is the anguish in the heart of a parent who's saying, my kid has left the faith. What did I do wrong? I put them through 12 or 16 years of Catholic school. And they're just in anguish over the fact that their kids are no longer practicing their faith. And that was 15, 20 years ago. Um, now it's just a commonplace. It's, it's sort of, what are you going to do? Well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, Carrie. And interestingly, we'll come back around to that theme of healing again. That's your word of the year, Carrie. We're Yay. Gonna talk more about healing <laughs> today on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Healing the wound of poor catechesis. What a fascinating thing. This priest was confessing in his talk and asking for forgiveness from any laity who had experienced the negative effects and impacts of poor catechesis. And that what that gets around to, Carrie, is the scriptural concept that the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if you're not receiving 
a communication of the truth of the gospel, the truth that God has revealed to the world and entrusted to the church, if we don't receive that, we're not going to flourish. We're going we're gonna to be eating junk food rather than at the banquet table uh, full of the, the best of foods, the choicest of foods. And, and, and all of a sudden there's this waking up to say, wait a minute, this wasn't my fault. I didn't choose junk food. I didn't choose to be starved of this other richness like you referenced um, when we encountered it um, at the traditional Latin mass. And I, you know, I encounter it when I read theology. And it's just like, wow, how come I never heard this before? So I thought, wow, what, a, what another interesting, again, concept from the priest. Um, and then anything you want to say about that one? Um, I think currently I hear some of my siblings' sadness and anger and frustration over the lack of adult um, fellowship, adult formation. After you've you know graduated from high school or college, you come back to live in the town or where you grew up, and there's just not a lot the church offers young adults. There's not a lot of um, gatherings, formation. That's perennial. That has been, that has been the case. Well, well, in the 80s when I was around, how, how there were no this? young adults, practically none. I had to start the young adult group at my parish when I was 19 years old, and it was my high school friends. And how is this still going on? How is this still an issue where even more so, I think a lot of millennials that are in that age group or maybe a little bit younger are seeking trying to find truth, trying to find teaching, trying to find fellowship, trying to find connection, community. And there's just, it's empty. And I think that is even for me, a bigger wound is just the lack of young adult youth programs that are rigorous, that are engaging, that are well-developed. And I don't want to beat up on the church because those are easy targets. We are the church. (laughs) I know it's so easy to rip the church. I feel like I am the church, and so I always feel like I'm pointing back at me in that specific area. I don't see like, oh, we need to leave this up to the bishop and the all the priests. They need to figure this out. No, I think they need to call the laity to help figure it out. But it's just a real sadness. Well, that actually brought us to the third wound that the priest was confessing, and that had to do with laity that were fired up full of faith, a sense of the spirit is alive and I've got energy. Father, I'm excited about the faith. And they come forward. And what this priest was saying, um, to ask forgiveness of the lady who came forward with fervor, with a sense of living faith, wanting to use their gifts and either being dismissed and at sort of a dismissive attitude where I don't really value your gifting. Thank you so much. Go away. Or the sense of saying, go right ahead. And doing, in other words, granting a kind of blanket permission without any level of investment in helping to steer those gifts. I didn't think that that was such a big wound from my own experience. Did you have that ever happen? Well, I would say that being a lay person that has done church ministry work but since 1989, and um, I would say that when I first worked for Father Mark Montmany at the parish level, he was someone who welcomed 
the gifted, the giftings of the laity sought to help them um, to be identified and then um, put them into use. So he was really good at providing leadership that said, uh, I want you to have a sense of going, go, use your gifts, put them at the service of, of the church. So that was my first experience, but absolutely, it was, it was clear, um, especially with all of my work in the charismatic renewal, that so many lay people that came alive in faith experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and full of the gifts of the Spirit, maybe didn't have all the maturity and wisdom, but they had the zeal. And what they needed was to be led. They needed to have a sense of shepherding care. And I think there was a, that wound of, of them not receiving that sense of, I'm so excited you're here. Let's see how we can best plug you in. Yeah, I, I maybe that priest experienced that personally. And so he's referencing that. I I just think that that's way down on the list of the things I could <laughs> be wounded by, by the church. Yeah. Well, uh, it was, again, it was interesting. And what that led to was, well, what are we, what are we doing now? And I loved it because, you know, this couple we had gotten together with before and had been in other sort of larger groups with, um, with one or, or both of them. And there is definitely a growing sense of convergence in discernment. Hey, that's a cool phrase. Yes. Convergence in discernment around the idea of healing, around the idea of healing in in terms of doing things like praise and worship, doing things like solid teaching that will form and, and nurture and fill, having a place of fellowship and of ministry in prayer. You know, I really do feel like it's a season for teaching in the light of what we've been through in the last two years, I think it's also brought about an opening of our eyes or an awakening to what the church is struggling with and maybe some of the ways in which we thought we were covered and we found ourselves exposed and more vulnerable as a people. And in the midst of all that, God is so good because he takes it and he uses it. And I think it's important that we look at the situation in the light of hope, in the light of faith. And yes, you know, there's this anger and there's this sadness and there's this frustration that I know is in the hearts of many um, parents today because they just feel stuck and they don't know how to help their child that's in high school or young adult. And they don't feel like they're capable or tooled to help them themselves. And yet you can also look at some of the priests and go, well, how are they going to do it? And so there, there, there is this way in crying out to God and being desperate and saying, Lord, what are you doing? How can you help this broken church in what she's been through and where is she headed? And I think in the light of all of this, COVID and the last few years have more just clarified the brokenness or brought to light the way in which we need God's help. And But at the same time, I don't feel hopeless. I think, oh, well, God's using this to bring people into you know certain communities or calling forth courage and, and hope or maybe arising in those that are faith-filled a deeper sense of I need to do more penance and I need to do more fasting I need to be more present because of the darkness that the world is undergoing well and one of the themes that I think has been emerging in your heart 
in this past, I don't know, maybe it's the past year and maybe it's this year, is adoration. And that was a big theme tonight when we were at dinner um, with them. And we're recording this on uh, Thursday night. Um, and it's that, late. It's late, Carrie. So, all the fub-ups, miss-ups, mess-ups, Oh, you're mishaps. doing great there. I love it. <laughs> so tired. <laughs> well, and, and just to say that this theme of adoration is one that will lead to an authentic, profound encounter with Christ, or can, when people know how to be led into it. You know, and even I even just that. I Tom and I agree. I I think there's just this ache in my heart and desire in my heart to commune, to be united, to be in the presence of Christ. I mean, we can be with Him in any moment. That's the thing about God is He's timeless and He's not limited. We we are limited, but He is not. And there is this way in which with social media and, and all the addictions that come with that and with um, different turmoils happening in our culture right now and ang- anxieties and pressures and, and what's going on you know, politically or in the church or in, in the community, there is a way in which there's this longing for peace. There's this longing for, Lord, where are you? There's this longing for, I need to find a secure foundation. I need to know the Lord is near and present and he is my good shepherd. And and so I do sense this hungering, this aching for going into the depths. It's, you know, it's not just healing where, you know, I'm being prayed over or I'm, you know, the Holy Spirit singing songs of praise and worship, that kind of thing. But it's more just an intimate encounter with his words and in his presence. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to say, except that I know right now as I'm saying it, I ache for it. I hunger for him. I don't know. Maybe it's like a band-aid's been ripped off. And um, and when that's torn off, all of a sudden you begin to feel the, the throbbing wound that has been exposed instead of just being covered over. And it just is striking me how many people that I'm bumping into. Again, a lot of them are these refugees, these folks that have moved here and are now without a family, still trying to get rooted in their, in a community of faith finding their people, right? Finding their friends and saying, you know, I'm excited. I'm here. I'm glad I'm not there. But what was that all about? Lord, is there more? I feel like there's more. I feel like there's more and it's connected to growth in the life of the Spirit, like living a life led by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, rule of discernment, take action and then reflect, you know, uh, stop this act and then reflect. Take another action reflect again. So we're going to take an action, dear. We are going to do some evening soon. We'll announce it here on Sound Insight so you folks can join in as you see fit. We'll get the word out. Um, But love to be able to get together an evening of beautiful songs of praise, some good teaching, some time of fellowship, and prayer. Some, Some kind of prayer at the end or some kind of prayer and then fellowship. And so things are aligning. I love it. Uh, and it feels like God's doing it. It doesn't feel like this is something that, oh, let's strategically plan this, and this is the next item on our prioritized list. Well, and I know the Lord looks at His church. He looks at the hearts of all of us, and He sees the need. He sees the solution. (laughs) He knows what He's about. And so I don't necessarily feel hopeless, but I do also feel, come on, Lord, let's, let's get this going. Let's do this. And it's not something that, like you I said. I feel it the other way. I feel like the Lord's saying, uh, come on, guys, uh, Tom and Carrie, let's get this going. <laughs> I, 
I'm just waiting on him. I, he's waiting on me. Is that what I you're think saying? He's waiting on you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kinda, waiting on him. I'm bridging the gap here. I'm saying <laughs> okay. the Lord. The Lord. The Lord's waiting on me to move, and I'm going to move. So you can keep waiting. So this is Tom Carnton and Sound Insight, reflecting on healing, and uh, just really built it off of the this interesting conversation that was um, that we had uh, earlier this evening on Thursday night here. And um, Carrie, I want to move forward to another uh, form of healing. So I've got my little. Uh, you have your list? Questions. I got my list and okay. you have your list. Are, the, is, are these church healings or are these marital healings? No, this is a marriage thing. This is oh, faith no. and family. So, <laughs> are we sure we have to go Oh, here? I do. I love these. These are so great. <laughs> Goodness. So, 12 things a wife needs from her husband. What is, what what is this? What is that? Just well, it's, you can do it that. in different ways here, right? So, it's, um, let's see, what a wife needs from her husband, five vital things. This one is nine things every wife needs from her husband. This one is This is how you get ten. in trouble when you start Googling things and then you're like, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. Let but me he say sometimes this. does that. I, I can I'm I immediately wrote off this one. Okay. Because the name of the website is The Dating Divas. Oh goodness. Okay. What in the <laughs> world do dating women know? about what their husbands need to, for their wives. Was that, I'm and proud of you? We need to know that he says- The first one, it, yeah, <laughs> so I appreciate you is number 10. That's terrible. And it, it just, they, these are not very smart. What, what you, you say affects me deeply, which is good. <laughs> I want to be romanced. Do you really want to be romanced? No, no, no. Well, I don't know, but those are not on my list. Little things are actually big things no, to me. No, that's actually annoying. You are important. <laughs> I want to act like we are dating again. Oh, this, it just sounds like a, a naggy diva. That yeah. she's kind of I need demanding. to be told I'm beautiful. No, <laughs> that's number four. Yeah. What list are you Listening is more than hearing. <sighs> that's why he gives you two ears and one mouth. Uh, I'm proud of you. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, this is, I wish my husband knew how proud I am of him. Oh, what the wife wants from her husband. Wait, no, no, go back. That's not what, what that was about. What a wife wants from her husband is for him to know above all else that he is so loved. Is that once from her husband is for him to do you want me to know that you love me? I don't I just would not think that on my list. Yeah. I, I would say it differently, that's all. Well, yeah, it, it was it is kind of like right, a, delete they're that trying one. to be a clever reversal. <laughs> that wasn't the one that I thought was really any good. Okay. But I did have one in here that was um, hey, ten top fifteen things man really wants from his wife. Wait. I like the other one. What like the other one's needs better? There, this one was good. There was one actually that was good. I was like, hey, yeah. hey. I feel like this guy's got it. This guy right. got it, except for one thing. He was young. And I'm like, well, he's young. He's almost, but he's like a counselor to people that ha have troubled marriages. So I'm like, well, if he's in the trenches, then he probably has a sense of, you know, some guidance or insight into these nine things every wife needs from her husband. Every wife needs from her husband. So what do you need from me? Well, I think some of these are nice. They're nice talking points. But I think when you get into a harder situation, these are not going to cut it. These are like barely... No, no. These, these are from a guy counseling couples... That have, to not get a divorce. Oh, okay. So they've gone to so the this hard. So this is like you're in the hard okay, spot. Okay, well, let's read those. Yeah. Okay. And, I, and when I was reading through them, I'm like, okay, this there's some nuggets of gold here. I thought these were pretty insightful. So what you need from me right now <laughs> is to decide which of these we're going to read. Oh, no, we'll no. do that in a minute on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with my wife, Carrie, and we are we're going to talk about things that, well, every wife needs from their husband, according to husbandhelphaven.com. There's only nine. Okay. Are you ready? Do you want to guess? What? Do you want to guess like the number one thing that a wife needs from her husband? I think it's pretty insightful. I'd say security. I don't know. You saw it. No, that's what Are Gottman you serious? Says. Oh, yes, I got it right. You got it right. Yes. You sound wow. so surprised. I am a woman. <laughs> I have a husband. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I, I, it's like, yeah, I thought you maybe saw me scroll through it. No. That, good job, honey. Well, a good job. Um, and so it was to give your wife security means that you give her confidence in the future. Does that, is that a good way of saying it? Well, mm. what, what is your way of saying it? Security. I think security is um, the loyalty, trust, uh, foundation. You can't just keep throwing out a bunch well, of I'm, other words. I'm trying. I'm like digging around in my brain <laughs> to fill it. Can I say it like this? I'll use my definition okay, rather please, than, than please his. Do. Yeah, go ahead. To say that you feel security is that you feel safe. You feel covered. You feel like he's got me. Yes. Everything's going to be okay. The thing about this is you don't know that you have security until you don't have it. Until you feel vulnerable and exposed. Yeah, until you know your husband has betrayed you or there has been a sense of, oh, no, what am I going to do? He, you know, he's without work. Or um, there's an area in his life that's just so morally compromised. Now we don't feel covered. Um, I'm trying to think of different examples. Um, maybe you're ill, like when you had your concussion and yeah. just that vulnerable time of, of being physically ill. Yeah, the other word he uses is stability. Yeah, so I could see you don't really appreciate that you have security until it's not there. Yeah, it's sort, of, sort of like you're on solid ground. You feel secure if you're on solid ground. Like, is this ice going to break? No, 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 we're good. And you don't even really think about it because security allows you to do so much growth, creativity, nurturing, homemaking. So I don't even think about it. I just... So, you know what? So what I find so fascinating as I'm thinking about this is, as I'm raising my kids, I am consciously, intentionally removing security from their lives. You mean instabilities? Meaning I am not going to be your stability. I am not going to provide your covering to take care of all of this for you. I'm going to allow you to become exposed to these things so you can begin to figure it out and navigate it. Sort of like, you know, get the training wheels off and then yeah. you're holding the back of the bike and then you say, you, you've got to go. Yeah, there's a point where that would help them grow up or get get some tools and confidence and just so it's like, like while experience. I should always provide you a sense of security on the other <laughs> hand if I'm going to raise my kids well I need to be incorporating in a sense of saying look I'm not abandoning you but you need to step out of my shadow and into the light because one day you're going to have to provide shade and cover for your loved ones you know I hear a lot of people talk about this word when they've come from a family that's divorced or where there was a lot of fighting and abuse and the child growing up in that home just did not, either they became the caretaker 
or they avoided and, and hid or took off or never home because there was so much pain in the marriage. And I, I mean, I'm thinking that's probably the number one way in which this would not be present to children. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's talking about the wife, but it really could lead to a lot of pain. Yeah, you're right. Pain Absolutely. And- in, in those earliest years, that total sense of I'm covered, you're covered, yeah. provides a space to grow. All right. There are nine. That's only one. So do you want to guess what the second one is? No. What else? It's too late. Contentment. <laughs> Every wife needs contentment from her marriage. Your wife needs to feel that her life inside the marriage is both enjoyable and worthwhile. What an interesting word, worthwhile. What do you think about that? Um, I, I have a hard time thinking about it. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what they're trying to get at because so I don't the, think that's I, I, what I'm I'd a, say. I'm a, I'm a word guy. Yeah. So contentment is connected to the word for happiness, but then they use the word enjoyable. And joy and happiness are not the same thing. So that's one little thing that I get at there. I, so what I wonder is um, she needs to feel that her life, how about she needs to experience that her life inside the marriage. So I, I think a better way of saying is I need to know that Marriage is a, a sense of vocation, a sense of mission, a yeah, sense purposeful, of purposeful, meaningful. Not contentment. That just seems weak. I, I don't know. I would want more from myself yeah. than being enjoyed and just to, oh, this is enjoyable. I don't know. That's just not what I'd say. Well, in fact, I think that you have that sense of what? Discontent, meaning let's go for something better. Let's go for something higher. Let's go for something more. So American. Up until the left. Yeah, I, I don't, but I don't <laughs> right. think you mean it like that. Maybe sometimes there's a shadow side to when you say that, but yeah, um, I know what you're saying. So every every wife needs contentment from her marriage. When you take that in the best sense, I think it's that. Don't presume that your wife is going to find a sense of meaning and purpose in the marriage relationship. Absolutely, I not. find a lot yeah. of meaning in my relationship with you. Yes, but that's not my ultimate. Like, I don't settle. I know that you will never fulfill me or I what? won't fulfill you. <laughs> what? <laughs> the good old Lord. Yeah. You have to lean in on him. He can, because we are two broken people that bring our best and our worst and trying to. Oh boy, where did this enjoy. go? Where is this well, going? I'm just getting to the crux of, you know, the day to day, the in and out. It's yeah. not like it's all. You're you right. Know. So is there going to be, there, there should be a kind of holy, H-O-L-Y, yeah. holy discontent. In married life. Exactly. That's that's what's missing, is they're trying to make it like all sugar-coated. You're supposed to be enjoying yeah, marriage. Yeah, as if, as if that's where all fulfillment comes from. But I do think that it's a, it, it's, it's a two-sided coin because yeah. you won't experience holy discontent unless you also experience a holy union. Amen. Well said, Tom. Well, and I think it's because of a holy union, and it's a union that is expressive of fulfillment that overflows. That's joy. So In Christ. Our joy, it's, it's not our union. It's Christ unifying us. Christ unifying us, right? It's the sacrament that says the two shall become one. Yes. And so we don't have the ability to become one on our own strength. So the Lord bringing about that gift is saying... You will find joy in that, but you'll also be discontented. I think that's because there's more. Yes, and I think enjoy 
that we enjoy each other, that there's enjoyment. I think that's the fruit of something much richer and deeper. Yeah, God. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> oh, by the way. By the way. I don't know. Okay. Why don't you ask a guy a question? What do the guys want from their wives? Next. Oh my Every wife wants to feel pride in her husband and family. What is this the guy that's helping marriages that are falling apart? This isn't... Yeah. I, okay, delete. Every little girl dreams of marrying a prince. Every wife wants to know she married a great, worthy husband. Does a guy want to know that he's married a great, worthy wife? Um... Is that not? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that sh- that shows up like that for me. I do think when we talk about this with our girls, we we say marry someone who's very respectable or honorable. So there is that sense I use of like, worthy. I use words like noble. Yes, I, I pursuing noble things uh, has noble goals. I use the word gentleman. I of course I'd use the word godly or faith filled. Um, in fact, I heard something so interesting. I was talking to um, a woman who, uh, she's a grandmother, and she said, I learned too late that you shouldn't only be praying for your future spouse. You shouldn't only be praying for your kids' future spouses, but you should be praying for your kids, future spouses, grandparents. And I'm like... That's a lot of praying. What? <laughs> so- <laughs> no, it, it, and you try to figure that so out. So that's their, what was her, her in-laws? Point? What was her point? Can you figure it out? Like, why would you be praying for the grandparents? The relational... It's the idea of you, you want to... You don't want to have your kid marry someone who's only Catholic. Like, let's just say, oh, they're faith-filled and they love their Catholic faith. Yeah, but did they grow up in a home with a mom and a dad that were practicing their Catholic faith? But then you say, well, wait a minute. How healthy and deep was that Catholic faith? Hey, maybe Well, that comes from their parents. So that's where you get the grandparents in, is she's trying to draw on the idea of a tradition and that if you could find an ideal like spouse for your for your kid it's probably someone that comes from a a family that has a generational faith generations of faith fullness in the family now maybe that's too ideal uh yeah well as long as you leave room for the lord to do missionary work or he's about many things he chooses who he chooses so a fallen away kid whose parents never went to church and the grandparents were some okay, other religion. Wait a minute. You say the Lord chooses. This this is interesting because so then, I've shifted away a bit from my previous understanding of marriage, which was that. <laughs> hold on. How did you shift? From, okay. Here's the shift. You listen to the shift before you laugh at me. It just sounds. <laughs> well, no, the shift is that um, the idea that God only made me for you and only made you for me. Wait, that you don't believe that anymore? Uh, what happened to my security? Hold on. I want to be. I want to have pride in you. Yeah, <laughs> this is we'll, hurting we'll my enjoyment. We'll I, let me clarify after the break on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern, and I'm 
with a wife who's feeling a little less secure right now. How are you feeling, dear? I feel great. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? I'm a little tired right now. So here's what I, I, I had a time when I was interviewing Father Gordon, and he was talking about vocation, and the the theology of vocation he was bringing to the table was that the concept of God has chosen this man for this woman is more a product of the 80s. And actually, somebody else said that. He was more just referring to a more traditional understanding of vocation, which was God's call for you is to become a saint and get to heaven. And he gives a degree of latitude. He gives some discretion in there for you to make a choice. He will invite you, but he also gives you choice. And so if you're called to be married, it may not be the case, and it's probably not even often the case, that he's calling this young man to marry this young woman. But rather, this young man should be able to say, I know my call. I'm going to get to heaven, and I, I, I feel called to have a wife and, and help my, a wife get to heaven. Who's a suitable helpmate? Yeah, she could do it. Well, she could do it too. And maybe I'll wait and, oh, look at those other ones over there. Yeah, any one of those <laughs> three. There's a lot of choices. So and point, there's a dozen over there and there's 20 <laughs> down the street. <laughs> but the point was you find a suitable helpmate okay. and who has a similar vision and saying, let's get, to, let's get married for this reason. And I complimented it. I complimented, E-M-E-N-T-I-E-D, complimented by saying, but I also think there's a density of call in certain uh, certain people's lives. That, yes, I remember you saying this. Right? That God has a call sometimes that says, I intend you to marry this one, like the little flower's parents. I really do believe that God intended that man, um, Louis, to marry that woman. I think you see that so, in the New Testament or the Old Testament, a lot of the different um, marriages. Right. Like Moses, God ordained Abraham and the Sarah hand or... on, the hand on, boom. So it yeah. was really not about choice. It was more about the divine density of vocation got that specific. So how does that relate to me saying, do you really need to be praying for your grandparents of your future? Yeah. Well, you were saying maybe God's mission for you was that you um, have this missionary call to help rescue someone from a really bad life and you help them come to faith in your married life. Well, something I think like we, that. yeah. And I think we all, I think we all go into marriage with some baggage and there's a way in which those struggles and those difficulties can bring great refinement and healing and selflessness and God, it's holy. I mean, there's a holy work that happens in the marriage if the, if the couple's open to it and if they're seeking him and if, they're hey, willing. Do you, do you pray harder for your daughters, husband, future husbands, for those who are called, or your sons, future wives? You know, I should be praying harder for my husbands. I mean, my sons' wives. But I think I lean towards my daughters' husbands because I think I want them to be well taken care of. But then it could be really difficult if my boys married um, not a kind woman. So I don't know. How about you? Honey, do you know the best way to help your sons marry a kind woman? To be a kind mom? <gasps> no, to be a kind wife. Oh, I mean, well, a wife, but a kind kindness in general. Who do you pray more for? I definitely pray for my daughters more. Not even a question. I am so 
regularly and like intensely praying for my daughter's future husbands. Why is that? I think two reasons. One is I'm a guy and I know that guys will face all kinds of temptations and a guy's openness to, especially at a younger age, to be broken open and to cry out to the Lord and let the Lord come alive in them in a way that is authentic and profound so that they can be a spiritual leader in their married life. That's rarer than more common. And the second reason is, is that um, men who, young men today, who are faced with such horrific challenges to remain pure, and modest and self-controlled and to exercise a strong sense of I'm going to engage in the difficult good. I'm going to really strive to pour my life out. That's just so rare. And so I don't want my daughters to end up with passive husbands who are not courageous or who have been tragically and um, uh, deeply impacted by the trauma of pornography or pornographic addiction, that that would just be a terrible, terrible thing for uh, a, a girl to be married into. Didn't you just hear a um, a podcast about that? About you know a couple who fire fire for the Lord, and after they got married, it came out that the wife had been. Uh, um, abused in some way or, and traumatized by it. And then all of a sudden. Yes, yes, yes. It was on a um, messy parenting. It's Mike and Alicia Hernan. And they had on Chris Stefanik. He does the real life Catholic show and his wife, they met at Franciscan university and both on fire for the Lord, but she had trauma in her past and a bit, been sexually abused. And so in this podcast, you can listen, anybody can listen to it. Of course, it's like an hour and 10 minutes. Um, they really share very openly and vulnerably about how difficult and, and how much they struggled in their marriage. Like they didn't even know if they could make it and stay married because of what she had undergone and not even herself had realized how difficult it was for her to be in this marriage relationship in the marital act. It just traumatized her. So she had to go through a ton of a therapy and in healing and so they just share their their journey and um i know the hernans had said that this was one of their more popular um podcasts because it spoke to so many couples who are dealing with similar struggles and and you know it could be a you know maybe a guy struggling with pornography or it's the wife who has been abused or whatever it is they really talked about the grace and the strength that comes from the sacrament of marriage and just all the different ways in which God was with them, but they were hanging on for dear life. They said it was just some some years and some seasons were just so dark and hard and heartbreaking. They just were not thinking, oh, we're this great Catholic couple that loves the Lord and we are, are full of love for God, and that they never thought that this is, oh, this is not the theology of the body that we learn about in Dr. Scott Hahn's class, or you know, you you go to this you know great. Um, professors, and you hear this great theology, and you're excited to get married and give your life to, to to your spouse and have a family and blah blah blah. So it was really it was really beautiful how open and honest they were, and I think they left those who listened with hope because 
and, and compassion. I think you just don't know what people are going through. You just yeah. don't know what's going on. Well, I think that that's not surprising at all. When people turn to podcasts or videos or books and all they encounter or the vast majority of what they encounter is, you know, I've heard about people that are down there in that broken spot. Let me kind of sprinkle down some insights from my high place of having it all together. And even if, even though everyone knows that on the one hand, they probably don't have it all together, none of that's ever disclosed. And so, um, you know, when there's lots of good, lots of solid teaching, but there isn't that sense of authenticity around, no, you know what? There are really broken people in broken places and we need to be able to bring that out into the open. That's just still so rare. Um, I think that's one of the things that we, we, I think, make a conscious effort to do is to stay close to being real without being raw, being authentic, even if that means sharing brokenness without being um, unnecessarily like indiscreet about details. We do an amazing job, honey. Are you affirming me? Oh, no, wait a minute. Hold on. That was like the last thing. Sorry, I'm sarcastic. That's not even good. I'm so sorry. That's just me being silly. How awesome we are. We do a great job. You're giving I, me a funny look. My point was that I'm, I'm very conscious and intentional about being uh, real, even yes. when that means uh, sharing broken brokenness. Yeah, but Tom, you are pretty... You're pretty unique. Like some of the stuff you share, I'm like, ah, most people just don't experience God the way you do. Just saying, if you. <laughs> I was talking more about you, the like when I talked about all the ways I got humbled in Lent, just for instance. But okay, honey, you're right. You're right. That was the last thing. Was say you're, you're right. right. Yes, you're dear. right. Yes, dear. Of course, you're right. All right. God bless you, dear everyone. Join me on Monday. I'll be with Father Lewis. Just Father Lewis this upcoming Monday on Sound Insight. God bless you, dear.